we'd like to dedicate this episode to Tarrant County Community College, which uh, played a major role in me getting to go to college and helping me figure out how to financially support myself, but also all of the other community colleges that have helped get me where I am today. And to everyone who funds scholarship at all levels, we salute you. Hiya. <laughs> gotcha! Hello, Rebecca. Hello, good people. Hello, Sydney. We're back. We took a little hiatus while Sydney and I completed some academic transitions. Sydney has now left her master's program, graduated, not like absconded, and is moving into her PhD program. So everybody, congratulate Sydney. Yes. Wait, thank you, everybody. We're making it. Yes, we're making it. it what a time of seasonal transition it is. Rebecca, how are you? Tell us what you've been up to. Something exciting that happened this week. Yes. So like Sydney, I made some academic transitions. I am now 50% done with my nursing program. So I'm very excited. I get a week off and launch back into it because I'm in an accelerated program, which I'm going to talk about a little bit later. Um, So no no real breaks until the holidays, which is fine because then it's over with faster. (laughs) So not only is Rebecca becoming an even more healthy professional health professional um, in the time of the great health reckoning in our <laughs> in our midst, but she's doing it at an accelerated rate. So a round of applause, please. Hold for applause. A moment of deep, silent respect for Rebecca's contributions to our healthcare oh system. Oh my gosh. Thank you, Rebecca. So sweet. So sweet. And just thank you to all of my cohort we're all trying to be nurses. COVID is not going to stop us. Um, we don't care. We want to take care of you even if you have COVID. So that's okay. Honestly, especially if you have COVID at this time. I'd love to tell a future employer, yeah, when I was in nursing school, I took care of COVID. That's right. Uh-huh. Kicked his butt. You know. <laughs> it was me. I did it. <laughs> it was me. I no. conquered it. We're all going to make it. hope you're all staying safe. Still good people. Um, COVID is still out there. Things are changing. We're kind of adapting to a new way of life. I hope you're still taking care of yourselves out there in this uh, scary time. Yes, I hope you're staying entertained. Uh, Last time we talked about different kinds of board games and card games. And one of our follow-ups related to that is, are there different types of Rummy or people just calling the same game different names? And it turns out there are actually six different types of Rummy. So there's Indian Rummy. 13 Cards Rummy, Gin Rummy, Kaluki, Oklahoma Rummy, Rummy, Oklahoma Rummy, and 500 Rummy. So, very, uh, a wide variety there. Some interesting names, and based on what I could tell, just glancing through the list and reading about their differences, the they seem to have come from different origins at different points in history, so... Um, the games are all different, but they have things in common, and their names typically indicate their origin. So that was pretty cool. Oh, okay. So it's kind of like a little bit of convergent evolution. They all formed different places to create kind of the same game. I like it. I love convergent evolution. It's very cool. I didn't have any follow-ups, but I would like to just share something. Sydney and I are always looking for a thing to celebrate, like, this month is... Breast Cancer Awareness Month. It's not. That's October. We know that. But this month, um, or September will be, excuse me, will be Sepsis Awareness Month. We're skipping August. August is what? Back to school month. Congrats. We're all going back to school. Um, <laughs> will be Sepsis Awareness Month. 
So, um, sepsis is a major killer in hospitals. So, um, basically, if you get sick, you have a weird infection, please go to the doctor before it, what, kills you. Yes, yeah, sepsis awareness month. Um, that's all. I just wanted to share that. But I am going to acknowledge our sources for today, good people, before we launch into this thrilling topic that Sydney and I have a lot of sad experience with. Um, so sources for this episode <laughs> include the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities, the U.S. Department of Education, one of my personal enemies, um, USA News and studentaid.gov, along with, um, oh, never mind. I already said USA News. That's it. All right. Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the Something, Something or Other, or other podcast. podcast. Rebecca, today we're talking about funding education. So we're talking about A, how do we fund K-12 education? B, how do we fund college? And how do they receive funding? And then C, how do you personally finance your own education? So lots of ground to cover and lots of money on the line. Yes, lots of line, lots of people on the line. Education is essential. Everyone should have some sort of education, whether it's university community college which is just they're both just as valuable don't be one of those people okay i used to be one of those people it's not true they're both great uh technical school is a great option trade school is a great option um i think there's a misconception out there about trade schools and stuff but you can get amazingly well-paying jobs that you can be very happy doing super fun stuff so um yes sydney and i have a lot of opinions on education we have a lot of experience on education as i said sydney's now in a phd program and i'm working on my second bachelor's degree with interest in going into a master's or PhD program. So we've done a lot of education, done a lot of time in the U.S. education system, and we both went, of course, to um, elementary school, middle school, and high school, and we did it in several states. So we have some unique points of view on there, but this episode will mainly be focusing on funding. Um, Of course, I think college is or in trade school is the biggest funding part but um it's all very important where does it come from you know if you're you know if your school district is poor you you just know you know absolutely and i think we're mostly gonna focus on college and university because public school though it's not always nurtured and invested in as it should be is usually an option for most people, right? So you don't have to worry quite as much about funding education for K through 12 students. That's not to say that you don't end up paying money to send your kids to public school. You have to buy school supplies. Sometimes you have to pay fees for things like athletics. You have to pay fees to get their physical done, whatever. But it's never going to be the same amount as paying for a university education, whether that's public or private. So Absolutely. And thank God, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because everyone deserves access to education, at least through uh, 12th grade. And I would argue that it should be more accessible for people to go to things like trade school at a decreased price. And And that usually is pretty, you know, relevant to like a four-year university experience, it may be a little more affordable because you're not typically doing the same kind of thing where you're paying to live in a dorm or attend campus activities, but you may still have to pay rent in a new area to be close enough to the school or what have you. So every situation is different. Every scholarship funding opportunity is different. Every loan is different. So it just depends. But for the most part, K through 12 schools have a similar sense of funding across the board in the U.S. So private schools are a whole other story. But in the case of public schools, 
This is what the Department of Education says your top 10 points to know about funding for K through 12 schools. Firstly, the US Constitution leaves the responsibility for public K through 12 education with the states. So that means that they are not doing some kind of federal mandate of like every single elementary school in the country will teach this curriculum. That's why you have different curriculum from state to state. That's why you have different funding from school to school, from district to district. It's not federally regulated. Total taxpayer investment in K through 12 education in the United States for 2004 to 2005 was estimated to have been about $536 billion. You think about the fact that that has been years and years since, and we probably haven't changed a whole lot in terms of adding money into the school system. In fact, we've kind of defunded education over the years and that usually starts with removing things like fine arts from the curriculum or uh, fine arts programs because they can argue that you can cut that. But there have been arguments made recent years about cutting things like lab funding or computer lab funding, things like that, that really at that point you're hampering education. So just something to think about that since 2005, it's been on the downslope, even though $536 billion is a lot of money, that's a lot of schools. You think about how many schools are in your area in one district alone and how many kids are at each of them and that they all need resources and supplies to attend. It does get pretty pricey. States and localities are the primary sources of K-12 through education funding and always have been. So because the federal government isn't able to tamper with the curriculum, they also aren't super invested in giving money. So it's typically the Rhode Island Department of Education, the State Board of Education, working to fund Rhode Island public schools. Total education funding has increased substantially in recent years at all levels of government, even when accounting for enrollment increases in inflation, which means that we're putting more money into schools, but um, at every single level of government, every single level of education, it's rising. So the more that we fund an elementary school, the more we fund a college uh, a public college at least, that's when your tuition gets raised. Federal funding for two main federal K-12 education programs will have increased by $9.3 billion since 2001 under the president's proposed budget. And this article was from the Obama administration. So federal funding, when they say federal education programs, again, they're not talking about curriculum. Most federal funds are sent directly to states and local school districts for their use, so they get to determine what they're gonna do with it. There are no unfunded federal education mandates. Every federal education law is conditioned on a state or other grantee's decision to accept federal program funds. What does that mean? That's a lot of words. Um, there are no <laughs> federal mandates that are not attached to money. So again, it's just another reminder that they're not deciding the curriculum, which is good in some ways and bad in other ways. Like we talked about in our episode about um, racial reconciliation and civil unrest in the U.S. a couple of months back. Um, textbooks are a great example of why failing to regulate curriculum becomes a problem if we're not teaching things that are um, correct or updated, things like that. But then again, you get into what if the government decides to teach everyone the wrong thing? Uh, so that's really tricky, and I think that's why they try to keep their hands in their pockets and, and they don't meddle. 
Um, the federal commitment to education can be found in the actual dollars earmarked for education. So they have to be really transparent about what kind of money they put into these things. And then finally, K-12 education is funded at the federal level through a variety of laws and programs. So while they can't necessarily say we're giving money directly to this school, they may be paying money into No Child Left Behind, uh, the D.A.R.E. program, Chicken Club, Head Start, Sylvan, you name it. They, they can fund that kind of thing through grants and uh, so it's like indirectly exactly giving them money exactly so something that i know that's related to this about um the state so the government as we said doesn't really mandate the curriculum so what's being taught that is a state level thing it's kind of like you know right now the governors are in charge of the coronavirus response not the president it's the same way with education the constitution said that states should be able to regulate that on their own and in theory that's amazing but it's like sydney said the government could teach everybody the wrong thing. The problem with this, and Sydney and I live in the South, so we've seen this, and we talked about this in our sexual education episode, um, the states can impose things on schools like, if you don't teach abstinence, we're going to cut your funding. If you do teach true sexual education, we're going to cut your funding. They have control over what they do, and they often um, you know, get paid for bodies and chairs. So... You're, that's why I like things like um, tardies and um, like ditching, you know, they're really strict on truancy. It's, it's partly why, because if no one shows up, then they're like, oh, well, you don't need as much money because no one's coming. Um, but they also get, I know, assessed on, um, Texas takes the, they used to take the tax and now it's the star test. I came in at the, per- I moved to Texas at the right time during that transition. I never had to take either one. It was beautiful. But, um, you know, it's your state competency. So the state basically forces them to teach that to you instead of like real life skills, I feel like. Um, And if all you guys, you know, if everybody fails the STAR test, the state assessment test, um, they're gonna give them less funding. So yes, it's funded, you know, your tax money supposedly goes to school and roads, you know, that type of stuff. Um, But just know that it's it's not free money. There's no such thing as free money. Everything has attachments. Yes, the state is giving, you know, they're getting $536 billion, but there's there's conditions on all of that. So they get to decide kind of what they do with it, but if the state doesn't like what they're doing with it, they can shut it down. Absolutely. And two points to make on that. The first being that if your school scores poorly on a standardized test and they give you less money as a consequence, doesn't that seem like they're digging a deeper hole for you that you've, you know, your students are struggling and they're like, oh, they're struggling. Let's take away any money that you have that you could use to improve things. It's just ridiculous. And then secondly, um, yeah, major shout out to teachers who end up having to pay for all sorts of supplies and classroom items that just simply aren't funded by the education system because they won't buy items like that. So um, just think about that. When they say your money is going to the schools, it's literally going to the building and then some of it goes to paying staff. But then you think about how much has to be added on top of that and how we're probably, and and by probably I mean I know we're definitely underfunding schools. So Just something to consider to tie it back to when we were talking about um, the money that police departments spend and potentially the defunding of uh, police departments. 
you know, that money could go to other places like schools and social services, and it's not an argument that schools typically make on their own. So if you're in your community and you know your school district's struggling, you're thinking about where they can reallocate funds, always start with education. Absolutely, because education is the future. To me, fighting for better and more accessible education is kind of the concept of I crawled so you could run. Like, I struggled to pay for it, but then I fought for you so you could do it. Um, Another thing I wanted to say about public school, I didn't go to private school. I can't really speak to private education in any way, so we can talk about that. But I wanted to say that unlike what we'll talk about in a minute with universities, where you have very little control of how you can change money or what your money goes to for universities, I will say that a large part of public education is not that way. My high school at one point considered cutting the band program, despite the fact that we won first in our area and we got like fourth at state for our division and we won a sweepstakes, so we actually won money to help pay for the program. They were considering cutting it and they hold uh, meetings about this that anyone can attend. Your parents can go. As long as you have a student enrolled or previously enrolled in the school, you can come and speak at these little board meetings. And so we had basically a little protest for that to keep the program. We ended up keeping the program, but those meetings meet like once a month. not, Not right now with COVID, I'm sure. But they used to meet once a month and you could go in there and voice your opinion about what you thought the money could go to, listen in and hear where it's going to. And at the very least, give your opinion on what's happening because I know we're not going to really talk about it this episode but a lot of money throughout the entirety of education most of it goes to sports regardless of how deserving the team is or not and that was always a big contested thing you know but so if your school is holding meetings like that I really encourage you to go especially if it's decisions on cutting um, arts programs because they get kids through a lot of stuff I know some of my friends that were in band band is the only reason they saw higher education it's the only reason they got a college degree Um, For some of them, it's the only reason they're still alive. You know, arts programs get kids through things. They teach them things. I'm not saying sports programs don't, because I know people that wrote a sports scholarship as well, and that's the only reason they went. But, you know, they consider cutting football teams, too, from some schools. So just, you know, stand up for the fun things that your kids can do. You know, your tax money should go to fun things for the kids, not just things like textbooks and computer labs. Yeah, absolutely. And to kind of transition from that K-12 to education into funding Um, specifically for universities and colleges, the buildings themselves. We're not talking about you paying your education, but how the university makes money. According to the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities, state and local tax revenue is a major source of support for public colleges and universities. So that's exactly what we were saying about school districts in your town, in your neighborhood. Um, It's tax dollars, mostly. And then unlike private institutions, which rely more heavily on charitable donations and large endowments, to help fund instruction. Public two and four year colleges typically rely heavily on state and local appropriations. So again, um, if you have a private university or college, it's usually that donor that comes in with a million dollars and says like, here you go, here's my gift. And then they name it like the Bob Jones uh, Athletics Hall with his $1 million gift kind of thing. So um, while that still happens at public universities, Sometimes they don't have as much control as a donor to say, you got to use this money for this thing that I've picked out. Whereas with private institutions, they truly are depending on tuition, which is high, and then um, the donations of wealthy alumni or people that are in the area that want to help. So they're not receiving tax dollars the same way that a public university might. 
and this is affected by cuts in state funding. More frequent cuts in state funding for public colleges and universities specifically have jacked that tuition up. When they're not receiving as much funding from the state, they're relying on taxes, but we don't want to increase taxes to cover that difference. So they hike the tuition and this can harm students' educational experiences by forcing uh, fewer teachers, fewer course offer, uh, uh, fewer course offerings, uh, campus closures, higher prices for textbooks, fees, uh, campus resources like student health, counseling, uh, even recreational activity, and this makes college less affordable, less accessible for students. And you know, you need a degree to succeed in today's economy, at least a high school degree, if not more. They just keep raising the bar, and also the dollar sign to get a degree. So uh, the same is also applied to a private uh, K-12 through school as well. The, the fewer resources they have, the more they have to charge to cover their services. Absolutely. Um, cuts in state funding is a big contribution to things like that. I know uh, the previous town I lived in had a community college where I did like all my dual credit and stuff. Um, I don't remember why. It wasn't by any fault of the school, but their state funding got cut. And so I always took like summer credits from them and the price went from being $200 for an online class to 450 because they were just trying to keep their doors open and um, all this stuff. And if that, if that community college closes, the, they did a study and it's like the, um, it's that college in that town is the main source of education outside of high school for the town. So if that university closes estimated that the number of people with degrees beyond high school will decrease by 73% because it was kind of a gateway to bigger like universities outside of that weren't community college. So if they wanted to go to Texas A&M, UT, Texas Tech, they went there through this community college. They got like their associates first and went, which is a great option that I'll talk about later. You know, it's a big deal. The closings, you know, um, people have to drive further or it just may no longer be an option. That's not to say, however, that big universities aren't still price gouging you because they want a big new stadium. They are. They're definitely after your money. It's definitely not fair. Um, you're definitely paying for things that you don't use. You're definitely sponsoring that football team. Sydney and I, for our first degrees, there was a guy that got picked up from our school for the NFL, didn't even complete his degree, but that whole thing was paid for for him, and he used to cheat off me in stats. He's going to remain nameless. Sydney and I have given you this wonderful introduction to education. You pretty much know you can make it through high school without a whole lot of money. If you do extracurriculars, you will spend a little more, but if you're really in a bind, my band director would have paid for any of our band shoes if we could not pay for them. Um, and I'm sure your band director would be the same way. Um, so options for funding your own education. You have a variety of choices. Um, some are easier than others, but honestly, they all require a lot of work. The thing about funding your education is when you're in the program, it's very stressful because you're in the program and you know when you get to the end of your program, you're going to make more money and you know, your career is usually on the other side of it. Um, but you have to pay all this money up front and when you've just graduated high school and you maybe haven't had air quotes a real job you know you've been working at the grocery store which is definitely a real job but you know, you've been working part-time in a grocery store to pay for your gas to go to the movies with your friends and all of a sudden you're facing a nine thousand dollar bill for one year of tuition that doesn't include your textbooks or your room and board that's intimidating so what are your options the first option, which way back in the day when our parents were going to school was definitely a more realistic option, was to simply save up all the money to pay for your school and then go. 
just go to school, pay for it, and do it. My dad did that for his bachelor's degree. Um, I did the same thing my dad did, so we both went to a community college, got our associate's degree, and then went to a four-year university. He took a year, year off between associate's degree and bachelor's degree. He, during that time, with just one job, was able to save up enough money to pay for his bachelor's degree. That's not really realistic in this day and time. You can live with your parents. I live with my parents. Normalize living with your parents. That's a capitalist Western idea that you can't live with your parents. Now, if your parents are abusers, don't live with them. Of course not. But it's okay to live with your parents. Most of the people I know still live with their parents. He lived with his parents when he did this. It decreases your bills. But back then, the dollar was worth more. The cost of tuition was a lot less. Um, I know that when I was at my first four-year university, I lived in the dorm. Um, not the nice. I had stayed at the nice dorm my last semester because my first dorm was so scary and horrible with my roommate that I needed my own room. But I was looking at like nine or ten thousand a semester for my classes plus my room and board. Does that sound like? Yeah, Sydney's nodding. Yeah, that, she was in the same situation. She we did the we had the same little path, but different degrees. You know, I was in micro and she was in communication. Every semester we're shelling out about 10 grand to be there. And that's not your textbooks or your lab supplies or the fancy shirts they make you wear for public speaking. <laughs> that's not, it's not any of that. It's not your computer, you know, so just keep that in mind. Um, there's no way I could save up, you know, total cost of my first degree, I think was supposed to be like 40 grand. There's no way I could save all that up and then go because I'd be working at like a grocery store or as a secretary and they just don't make enough money to do that. Any thoughts? Minimum wage in Texas is $7.25. So good luck. Let me do the math real quick. Do the math. Let's say I make $7.25 an hour and I work eight hours a day. That's $58 a day. Let's say I work six days a week. I make $3.48 a week. That's 115 weeks. <laughs> We're a long way from 10 grand. And there's just no, there's no way. There's no way. <laughs> well, mm -mm. That's more than two years. <laughs> and that's assuming you don't have any bills, that you don't have a phone bill, you don't pay car insurance, you know, you don't pay groceries. That's not worth it. That's not, not for your first degree. If you were saving for like a doctoral program, you could probably do that if you already had a bachelor's degree in a career, but... If for your first degree, which is mainly what I'm focusing on for this, there's just it's just not realistic for you to be able to do that unless you inherit a lot inherit a lot of money or steal a lot of money, which I don't recommend. Or we're willing to wait several years before enrolling. Yes. Which just usually isn't what people want to do. No. Rightfully so. Because you lose momentum and then you have to just spend all the meantime trying to work and make money but then it's like what if you don't even get in you know so it's just it's tough it is it's very tough and yeah they do say the longer you're out of like before you start school the less likely you are to actually go that doesn't mean you can't go at any age but i will say if you're living in texas and you're looking for a job that pays more than the minimum wage panda express chick-fil-a uh hospital orderly where you're cleaning stuff and um bucky's uh, Walmart even, they all pay at least 10 to $11 an hour. And uh, Burlington Coat Factory pays $9.50. Those are some options for you. And some of those also come with retirement options. So yeah, you may also be able to do um, childcare or nannying, 
things like that as well usually pay more than minimum wage because you can usually set your own rate yeah so just just keep that in mind um for those of you that are maybe considering this or our next option which is to work and go to school at the same time which i'm doing now with a full-time job but sydney and i both worked part-time jobs for our first degree and and for your master's program and she's working as a ta slash research assistant for her PhD program, so we this is the option we chose. <laughs> yes, part-time work, full-time student. <laughs> yes, unless you're me. Full-time work, full-time, full-time student. student. <laughs> <laughs> I am in a very unique situation. There are a bunch of programs out there like this. This is my second degree. If you're going back to school for a second bachelor's degree, there are a ton of second degree programs which are, as we said before, accelerated. Mine is online accelerated, so it's a year and a half. I'll be done next May, Um, no breaks, but since it's online, um, I am able to work and go to school. I've been able to do that for two semesters so far. I'm expecting to do it for the third. The fourth one is the one where I'm not sure because of when those classes are. Um, So the thing about this option, it may require you to go to school part-time. So my program, and I know a lot of other programs are like this, after the first full-time semester, you can drop down to part-time which may enable you to work, like if your classes were in person, you would go on the days you had them and then work the days you were off. It's not like an everyday type thing for the schooling. However, that's going to significantly slow down the time it takes you to complete your degree, which go at your own pace. That's fine. You have to do what you have to do. It's very stressful, even if you're just doing a part-time job. I remember Sydney and I being very panicked our last year of our first degree. Um, because you're very stressed, you're getting ready for graduation, and get all the stuff. It's very doable, but you have to build up self-accountability of saying, um, like for me, it was saying for four weeks when I have these exams and projects, I'm not going to do anything fun. I can't see my friends. I can't crochet. I can't paint. I, the only thing I allow myself is I crochet and read 15 minutes before I go to bed because you have to do something to stay sane, but you, you have to accept that, you know, when you're done with your program, you'll have all this free time outside of work to do whatever, but right now you have to prioritize. So that's the hard part about that. It's extremely doable. I encourage everyone to get a part-time job while they're working just so you have for fun money, you know? I would say too, you know, I didn't work my freshman year and I worked beyond that. I always had a part-time job while I was a student, but I learned how to manage my time so well Uh, because you have to. It's necessary. That's the only way to make it. There were people that I knew that didn't have a job and were just going to school, which is fine. Don't overload yourself. You're a student first. But if you're depending on this to fund your education, you've got to be both a student and an employee. My point is that even though it's hard and there's definitely a learning curve to it, like Rebecca was saying, the first semester or so where you're working and doing school, you might have a breakdown and it is really stressful. But once you get past that, you get into the rhythm of always having such a, a tremendous to-do list of things to do and always having to be focused and working on things that when you do get the opportunity to slow down, you're far more effective than people who haven't been able to pick those things up. And I, I know for certain that the people that Rebecca and I know from undergrad that had not had a job are going to struggle when they get out of school and have to manage having a full-time plate of things to do. So it's kind of like training yourself to be more efficient because that's your only option. 
Um, so it, of course it has its own pros and cons like all of these options do, but I would say don't let it scare you that it's going to have a rocky start because a lot of these are going to be like that, but it's not something that will always be that way. I think the most terrifying option when people think about this is student loans. It's really scary, especially I think for people coming out of high school. When I came out of high school, I think I had like, I didn't have a bank account, but I had like $200 in a jar and that was my life savings. It's a scary idea when you're coming out of high school with $200 in a jar that you're gonna go 40,000 in debt to pay for your education. And I know some people that did that right off the bat and that's terrifying because loans have interest and all this other stuff. Um, really scary. Thing is though, it will not be the end of the world. 86% of students in higher education have student loans of some kind. That's a lot, especially if you're in a master's, a doctorate, if you're going to med school or like PT school, I mean, excuse me, physical therapy school, anything specialized like that, it's very expensive. It's a lot of money to pay up front and you end up getting student loans. I have student loans. Most people I knew have student loans. I don't have, I got very lucky. I don't have a whole lot of them. I only had to get I got one my last year of my first degree. It was really small, but it was to pay for housing because my parents were nice enough and were able to pay for everything else. And then I got one for my nursing program. We have two choices for student loans, government versus private. I took private loans because I hate the government and my parents are solid middle class. So the FAFSA, which is the devil that we're gonna talk about in a minute, decided that the government doesn't need to help me and I wasn't even the loans I was approved for from the government were like $1,000. And I was like, that's not going to cover it. <laughs> the thing about government loans, if you qualify for them, is they have usually much lower interest rates. So interest, I know all about those people. So when you get a student loan, if you take $1,000 from the government, you, you can't pay it back right away. Because you don't have $1,000, right? If you had $1,000, you wouldn't be borrowing money from the government. You have their $1,000. Exactly. That you're borrowing. And they want it back, but they have to make money off this deal. So they charge you interest, which is extra money added on top, a percent of your loan over however long. So usually, if you agree to pay it back as you go, you get a lower interest rate for both private and government loans. So I did private loans because I hate the government and the government hates me. Sign up, you say, I need this much money, and then you give them an amount and they send that to your school and the school says, actually this is how much it's going to cost for them to go this year and they will adjust the amount so that you don't borrow too much or too little because that would be unfortunate and then you get approved you can have a co-signer which is someone who has money <laughs> you know because we've established you don't have money um can sign and say if they can't pay their loan i will pay it which is a major deal it's a huge thing to ask of someone and if you have a co-signer it lowers your interest rate you don't need a co-signer second biggest thing about student loans do you want a fixed rate or a, what do they call it, like a flexible rate? I don't know. Not the option I chose. So flexible rate ones start really low, like a 2% interest rate. And then after like five years, they could, they have like a range they can go to. They can go all the way up to like 20% interest. So I always went fixed route and that's a little higher to begin with, but it's always gonna be the same. So that's fine. And while you're in school for both government and private loans, they don't make you pay them back. You can do what you, is called deferring and pay them back once you graduate. But during that time, you do accumulate interest. Uh, personally though, it has not been a lot of money. So my loan company, which was again, Discover Student Loans, I don't even care. This is a lot of personal information I'm sharing with you good people. But if you wanna log in and pay my student loans, by all means, go for it. <laughs> Here's the password. <laughs> Here's the password. Um, please help Rebecca. <laughs> please. <laughs> 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 mark 12. 
<laughs> Thank you. <laughs> There's an option to pay a little bit of it back as you go, pay all of it back as like while you're still in school and then defer it completely. So I had a part-time jobs, but they weren't enough to pay back completely as I was going. So I did the small option and that offsets your interest. And I've been very happy with that so far. The other option, which Sydney and I luckily enough, we're very lucky to get to do this as well, is scholarships. Mm -hmm. They're not always available. They're only available at certain times for certain people. I felt like, I don't know if you feel the same, Sydney, but when I was first going into college, when I was going into community college and from community college to university, I felt like I had a lot more scholarship opportunities than I did as like a junior or a senior, which is kind of unfair because your senior and junior classes are way more expensive <laughs> than your freshman classes. It's fine. They're just out to get us. It's fine. It's so true because a lot of scholarships are structured for incoming students. So they'll say like, oh, you just graduated high school. Here's this scholarship. But then once you get there, they're like, good luck, Rebecca, bye. <laughs> and they're like, you made it this far. Surely you picked up 18 grand along the way, right? We paid for the first one. Didn't you save money? It's like, I still have $200 in a jar. <laughs> but now I have less hair because I pulled it out. So I can't even sell my hair. <laughs> I have no hair to sell. I'm now anemic from stress, so I cannot donate blood or plasma. <laughs> <laughs> oh, scholarships are... First come, first serve. When you're applying to scholarships, be the first person applying. Um, the application process, you gotta have good grades. If you, man, if you don't have good grades, it's gonna be very tough for you. I'm sorry. Just in general, it's gonna be very tough for you. Not impossible, but tough. You will have to change that. All the ones I applied for required essays. I went to a couple interviews. Some of them depend on if you have true financial need, which is um, usually determined by your FAFSA and I feel like during my interviews, they also looked at my clothes and were like, I think this girl's poor, you know? Um, <laughs> <laughs> she does have a lot of hair, She though. does have a lot of hair. She could sell some of that hair. It's long. But I will say, so scholars, some scholarships are aimed at certain populations, which is amazing. Like, some of them specifically target underserved populations like the Hispanic community, the black community, LGBTQIA, um, which is awesome. However, I've noticed that some of those only give out like, they'll, it'll be like $2,000 scholarship, which is a really good amount for a scholarship, to a student of the Hispanic community and 46 people apply, but they actually only give out, give it to two people. <laughs> so it's like, you're helping, but only, I mean, help as much as you can, but that's really, that's really not a lot. Like, you only help two people and that's only $2,000. $2, not to be ungrateful. <laughs> But story time. So when I was graduating high school, a friend and I, she ended up going to this university. I wanted to go there. She ended up going there. I thought I would, but then I went to community college instead because got to save that money. That's an option too. I didn't write it down. Go to community college first. Way cheaper. But we both applied for this scholarship. They're going to give out eight, there's eight scholarships in total. So eight people were going to each win $4,000. So you had to get all, you had to write this big interview about not about what you wanted to do or why, but why you chose that school specifically, which is kind of weird. So I wrote about, yeah, Sydney knows what school it is, so she's, her eyes twitching. So why you wanted to do that school, you had to have good grades, understandable, and they didn't care if you had true financial needs, so anybody could apply that wanted to go to the school. So then there was an interview process. So I went, I got all dressed up, went in for this interview, and all the questions they asked me were about, why do you want to go to this school? What about the school entices you the most? What is your favorite thing about this school? And I'm like, oh, it's a school, you know. <laughs> oh, it's cool. I don't know. Um, but the biggest 
the questions they had asked me how to do with had anyone in my family ever gone to the school. Aside from my dad, who as I mentioned earlier, who has a bachelor's degree, me and my mom's a nurse, so she has an associate's degree in nursing, um, no one else had gotten a bachelor's degree. I have some like extended, extended family that got one, but they don't really count. No one in my like immediate family or like my aunts, uncles, anybody had a degree. So no, no one had gotten to this college. None of them went to college, but they only cared if I was a legacy and I wasn't. And so they told me at the end of the interview, I would not be getting the scholarship because they only wanted to keep the tradition of going to this college going and they had no interest in starting a tradition in a new family. However, on any of the papers or anything, it didn't say anything about being a legacy. It never asked you, did anyone in your family go to the school? And so my friend got it. Right. Yeah. My friend got it because her dad went there, which no shade at her, but um, she failed out almost. You know, that to me, that's not the correct priority. I think the focus of scholarships and everything should be on starting traditions. You should be going for students that are first generation or no one in their family's gone there. Just be careful with scholarships. I made some notes here about the pros and cons of scholarships and why they're important. And Rebecca touched on most of these. They don't create the burden that loans do. So if you really are concerned about, um, I believe Rebecca said, true financial need, um, if that does concern you, then if you're able to get some kind of scholarship and she's about to talk about the Pell Grant which will be a good option for you if you're um if you qualify as true financial need right but scholarships also create diversity in the classroom because it makes it possible for students to come from any type of wealth and it allows for particular underserved and marginalized communities to send their kids to school so it is kind of like you were saying about starting a new tradition and introducing a family that doesn't have some kind of legacy nepotism connection to the school to to have a a true way in the door um but scholarships that are dedicated to youth of color lgbtqia youth first generation students international students. These are all important because the funding is allocated specifically to them and not just the general population, which is typically largely white and wealthy, um, unless the school is uh, a historically black college or university, for example. Even then, it's vital that money be dedicated to promoting success and excellence among those students um, belonging to any kind of minority because true financial need isn't always reflected in these scales that are based on the white middle class, right? And so it's not to say that the middle class isn't in financial need um, at all. That seems to be kind of a problem where if you're just above the threshold of a Pell Grant, for example, but um, below the threshold of being able to pay something out of pocket, uh, that can be kind of the problem where scholarship requirements are are flawed in actually allowing a fully diverse group of students into the school. But one scholarship in particular that has been really important for diversity has been the Pell Grant. Yes, I'm about to talk about the Pell Grant. Very important. There are some drawbacks to the Pell Grant, but... I know several people that the only, of varied backgrounds and races, the only reason they were in college was because of a Pell Grant and other financial aid that they received. And I will say that there are a lot of complaints about FAFSA. I personally hate the FAFSA, but scholarships and FAFSA, if you have true financial need, as in unless you get a full ride, you will not be going, they will help you. 
they were they you will get the need at least for your first two semesters i think your first two years you're pretty much solid i feel like but i want to say so sydney and i again we're both very lucky to have to have gotten several scholarships um sydney do you have any tips for getting scholarships for people that may be applying yes again first come first serve really is the truth apply early and apply well don't just throw something together and send in your letter and be like ah, i got it in right on the deadline um put work into it, prepare, do your research, and get it in early. And then I'd say just apply to as many as you're eligible for, especially if you're coming out of high school. I applied for a bunch of scholarships that were supposed to be really competitive. Like my high school, of course, had organized some that were like community scholarships, and then you can go out and find your own. But most universities have a list on their website of things you're eligible for. Go apply for all of them because some people won't take the time to do it. And that that makes the pool a lot smaller for people that they have to select from. Don't be afraid to apply for those community scholarships. Like if you're at a high school and you know there's 500 graduating seniors and all of you are eligible for the Um, you know, this is why I have school spirit kind of scholarship thing. Write the essay and apply it because you never know. I think um, I I ended up getting one from my intermediate school that I wasn't anticipating um, because nearly everyone I went to high school with went to that intermediate school and were eligible to apply. I think they just didn't do it. You know, and I I ended up getting it because I took the time to write the paper and turn it in. So don't be discouraged if you're like, oh, thousands of people have applied for this. They may not have have put in the work or may have just decided the exact same thing. So um, take your chances. You'll never know unless you try. And uh, always be willing to contact your school's financial aid office as people are there to assist you they will help you figure things out if you're concerned an application isn't working you aren't sure if you're qualified for something you think you're missing out on some of your options send them an email and you know most places are willing and eager to help you if you ask because you're basically saying um is there any way that you can help me fund my education? Because you're still going to end up paying them something in most cases. Even if you get a full ride somewhere, it's not free money. You're going to end up giving them something. Oh, yeah. So a lot of scholarships come with um, the agreement that you will be in a certain club in the university. You will attend certain dinners. You will have a certain amount of community hours. Nothing is super free. And I will also say that most free rides are for tuition only or maybe tuition and board, but you still have to pay for textbooks and supplies, which most universities now you need a computer. Um, I recommend an iPad. It's not required, but you need books and you need uh, notebooks and stuff, you know, if you don't get an iPad. Um what I was going to say too, if you're coming out of high school, in high school, be in organizations and don't be afraid to apply for small scholarships. I, I think I only got one really big scholarship. I think it was for like three grand. None of this matters. Again, if you want to give me free money or pay off my loans, go ahead. I'm not afraid to share. (laughs) Um, but then I applied for a crap ton of small scholarships. I got one from FFA. I think it was like 200. My band, which was very broke, gave me a scholarship. I wasn't even a good clarinet player. Um, so, you know, that was amazing. I got one for volleyball despite only doing it one year and sucking and hating it. And just apply for, I got a bunch of writing ones and I wasn't even going for a writing degree, but I applied for them and they were small and they added up. Sometimes your employer may have some. Look everywhere, apply everywhere, ask everywhere. If nothing else for that, that involvement serves a lot of purposes, but 
a lot of scholarships now will ask you to have some kind of recommendation or proof of involvement. So even if you're not getting monetary benefit from them, you may have a, um, you know, the president of your club or the advisor of your club may be able to recommend you for a scholarship. Fill out your FAFSA. And part of me wanted to say, screw it, keep it, pay for the rest of the semesters. I don't care. But I don't know. I just filled out the FAFSA because I knew it would become a problem later. Yeah, so at least the FAFSA's free, so it's not like... Some scholarship applications are not, and so um, just keep that in mind, too. That's the worst. Don't ever apply for a scholarship for, like, $100 if you have to pay $50 for the application fee. That is not worth your time and attention. Only apply for things that have free applications. Truly. Truly. In every single one of these circumstances... You just need to stay on top of your stuff and be aware of what you're signing up for. If you have questions, ask them before you sign anything. Read the fine print. Know what you're agreeing to. Um, and then always apply to these things early and well. Yes. And you'll yes. be fine. Yes. If you're writing an interview, oh, let me give you an advice. If you're writing an essay for a scholarship, you basically need to write in that essay that if they don't give you the scholarship, you're not going to college. You need to convince them that without the, you are a good person who's going to do great things, which is true. And if they don't give you that scholarship, um, you're not going to be able to cure cancer or end world hunger. Like, you need to sell yourself in there. Don't lie, but, I mean, well, you're kind of lying if you're saying, you know, unless you, you know, you need the scholarship. You need it. Do what you got to do. <laughs> or get a true free ride to one of our fake colleges, Rebecca, it's time for the fun question of the week. Fun question. What would you name a college if you founded it? Oh my gosh. I'm trying to think. So there's a lot of weird college names, right? I mean, like Vanderbilt, Notre Dame. I'm naming mine Transylvania so that people can be like, I went to Transylvania University and they're like, Transylvania? And you're like, no, Transylvania University. You just murmur it every time. And our mascot is me, but with vampire fangs. <laughs> I'm making t-shirts. Rebecca's laughing right now. I'm making us t-shirts. So Rebecca's going to be so excited so to get her t-shirt game, in the mail. Because Texas Tech has a little horse that runs down the field. Uh, I found her TikTok. The current um, mass writer. I found her TikTok. Um, Ooh. So I'm just imagining at a football game for Sydney's University, a person dressed like Sydney with a cape and like vampire fangs just like hauling it down the field. Yes. Except... Probably, like, on a, a moped or something because I can't run to save my life. So, like, me dressed as a vampire on a moped zooming down the middle of the football field. Would this would the university animal be a Pekingese? Yes. And I would hide them in my cape. I like it. I would go with the Monson Technically Technological Technical Tech University. No math majors allowed. <laughs> It's only liberal arts college. <laughs> only liberal arts, art, and you can do microbiology, but all your math credits must be transferred in from somewhere else. <laughs> what do you call it for short, or do you have to say the full name every single time? M-T-T-T-T. It's it. very similar to MIT, but, like, way more interesting. But better. <laughs> exactly. M-T-T-T-T-T. Some of my classes will be taught by Chihuahuas, so you only have to pay $5 for that class. So I'm going to get number one best value school. <laughs> You're not going to learn anything, but you will be amused. Your dorm is a park bench. 
<laughs> because your professor will be cute. Yes, that is what I would name my school. Wait, Rebecca, mm-hmm. can I ask what classes your dogs would be teaching? I think that Tady would be really good at teaching a like musical class because he barks and howls a lot. So I think he mm-hmm. he has a future opera in that. Yeah, some sort of opera, maybe maybe like folk music thing. Um, I was thinking conflict resolution for Boo and like uh, like um, theories class about behavior because you know she has unique answers to unique problems like something doesn't go her way I'll just pee in the floor you know like that's a unique um, theory I think to have I admire her gumption I really do yeah me too but other times I just want to like launch her into space when she looks at me in the eye and squats on the floor, and I'm like, excuse me, ma'am! <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Boo's conflict resolution tactics may disagree with launching her into space. I think she gets a free ride here. Just a free pass. She might. And then um, Nina would teach how to run away from scary noises, which is so necessary in this life. She is. PhD, Nina, you have your PhD? She's still asleep. Thanks. <laughs> I'm gonna run away now. Let's do a. All right, good people. We gave you a lot of information about the do's and don'ts of paying for your college. You're gonna make it. If you want to go, go to college. You will be able to pay for it. Do what you gotta do. Um, stay safe out there. Don't get sepsis for Sepsis Awareness Month. So if you have any thoughts or you are the Bears, uh, I feel like you're a defensive lineman um, that wants to send us your name. Uh, send us an email at thesoupod at gmail.com. That is T-H-E dot S-O-O-P-O-D at gmail.com. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at thesoupod, which is at T-H-E-S-O-O-P-O-D, no dot there where you'll find fun and interesting information related to the episodes. Make sure to answer the fun question of the week as well. We post a lot of cool stuff on our Insta. It's very fun. Yes, and if you're interested in paying for our schooling, uh, you can also send that to the email. Serious inquiries only. No phishing. Thank you. Yeah, no phishing with a P. My work sends out so many fake phishing scams, and I fall for them every time. So please don't send a scam, because I will probably fall for it, and... Then I'll have to call someone. All right, good people. Be well, do great, pay for that education. Heck yeah, go get learned. We'll see you soon. Bye bye.